Welcome to episode 25 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey folks, thanks for coming back to listen to another episode, or if you're a new listener, welcome. Today our guest is Chris Woodhead, and Chris is a group director at Dimensions UK, and Chris focuses on housing for uh, individuals with uh, learning disabilities and people that are on uh, the autism spectrum. Uh, and that's really where Dimensions UK uh, lives, and, and those are the, the folks that, that they serve on a daily basis. So I welcome Chris onto the podcast to talk about housing in the United Kingdom, specifically for individuals with disabilities and the approach that him and his team take at Dimensions UK to housing. So this is part five of the mini series on housing for people with disability. And uh, I hope you get value out of learning about kind of the situation in the UK uh, for housing and the approach that Dimensions UK is taking towards housing. And I think there's some great insights that Chris shares that we can all learn from. So here's Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, great. So, uh, Chris, would you be able to just maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself and the organization that uh, that you work for, Dimensions? Sure, absolutely. So, my name is uh, Chris Woodhead, and I'm the uh, Group Director for Business Development and Housing for Dimensions UK. Uh, I've worked in and around the public sector in the UK for about 20 years now, mostly uh, in housing, what we call uh, affordable, sometimes social housing, uh, sometimes in general needs circumstances, but mostly um, in what we would call the, the social care sector. So seeking to provide housing solutions for people who uh, who have disabilities uh, or uh, a long-standing uh, mental health issue. Um, so that's me. Uh, the company I'm with, Dimensions, is um, a company that's been around now for about 30 years in one form or another. And it is dedicated to delivering great quality support for people with learning disabilities uh, and autism across England and Wales. So we support about 5,000 people in total, uh, the majority of whom um, I would say uh, have, have complex needs or face significant challenges in life. Um, our our, our company was formed um, uh, at a time when um, hospitals and institutions were being closed in the UK. So we 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 grew from a time when people who who had uh, complex support needs were being supported to move from institutions, from assessment and treatment units, from long-term residential hospitals to lead. Um, extraordinary ordinary lives in, in, the, in the community so so really being supported to, to to have more choice and control over how they lead their lives and it's the same this the same objective we've had for, for for 30 years now so you know creating and delivering truly personalized services for people who who really need them right. i we've, we've recently been um working on a new model for supporting people, which we call Activate. And Activate is a, is a model of support which considers eight different themes 
or domains in someone's life and seeks to put in place the right kind of support, but also um, achievement of objectives for the person at the center of that support in each of those domains. And they range from someone's physical health and well-being through the activities and skills that they undertake, um, their communication and social interaction with people in the environment around them critically. And I guess what we'll talk a bit, a bit about today, the physical environment, the, the home that they live in, um, and then relationships with families, relationships with the support staff that work with them, um, services, and last of all, our, our wider organization. So, so, you know, I guess central to the values of dimensions is about making sure that we're able to support people to excel and grow in each of those core, those core um, domains of support, if you like. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense for sure. Um, and for people that are interested in learning maybe a little bit more about that model, is there somewhere that they can go um, maybe on, on your website to, to access that? There is. If you look on our website, um, then there's a series of short films that talk about the pilot research that we did to to um, yeah to formulate what we now call Activate. Obviously, it didn't start off being called Activate. Um, there's a couple of case studies on there that describe uh, how the model is implemented and the way that it was developed. I think I think the things that we're proudest of with the pilot research were. Not, it wasn't just about the quality of support it delivers for for people, because uh, I, I don't think it's a, it's it's a secret that active support, you know, is a uh, yields dividends. It's a great way to support people to achieve outcomes. But there were two other core um, uh, consequences that that we thought were were really inspiring. The, the first of which was um, we saw for the people that we were supporting using this model, we saw a significant reduction in challenging behavior, which we thought was really, um, really conducive because it, it supports people to live in the community. And that, that's, you know, uh, any mis community misunderstanding of challenging behavior um, can create real challenges for us as an organization. So, you know, t to be able to develop a model which helps to re reduce challenging behavior is critically important. Mm -hmm. but, 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 but lastly, I think for us, um, it was the, the increase in satisfaction for staff. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but, but finding great people to, um, to deliver great support is a challenge, uh, frankly. And, and their, their, their satisfaction and the way that they work and um, in keeping their motivation high is critically important. And, it, and, and in implementing this new model, we found that um, yeah, staff and colleagues expressed a, a higher level of fulfillment in the work that they were doing. And that's great for us because if, if we can keep great staff, then we can create continuity for people we're supporting and ultimately we get better outcomes at the end of it. So, so yeah, so there is uh, information to look at on the website and it will talk a bit more about um, how the model was implemented, how the, re how the research unfolded and some of the, of the outcomes that we're proudest of. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to link to um, that section of your website. So uh, if listeners are interested in checking that out, they can go to the show notes or the, or the podcast blog and, uh, and easily access that. So, uh, 
Yeah. So Chris, uh, let's, let's switch gears to, to focus on, on housing. And, um, mm-hmm. you've been involved with, uh, housing in the UK for a while now. Maybe we could start off. Would you be able to maybe give us just uh, a bit of the lay of the land of the current state, um, of, of housing, uh, in the UK? Um, and sure. specifically with, uh, with individuals that, uh, have a disability or maybe I know you focus on learning disability and autism. So mm-hmm. maybe you just be able to give us a bit sure. of an overview. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so forgive me if I, if I say things that your listeners will, will widely know and understand, but I, I suppose so to, to give you a sense of the, of the UK perspective, obviously the, the huge difference between the UK and Canada where you are is just size and scale. So the UK is a, is a small and old country. Um, and so land is at an absolute premium in the UK. And so it makes the, the development and provision of housing, uh, exceptionally challenging. Um, and I think that's, it might sound like a really obvious point to make, but that's the backdrop to almost every issue that we will discuss about housing in the UK, uh, full stop, you know, so think of everything you know about the history of the UK and the way it comes from feudal systems and it's, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's sheer compactness in terms of its size and scale. And that's the real backdrop to, to I suppose, the way housing works in the UK. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a housing culture, which is still very much founded upon home ownership. So, which marks the UK apart from, um, even European neighbors in terms of, um, societal aspirations for, for property. There still seems to be a strong culture towards home ownership in the UK. Whereas if you go into Europe, uh, rental is a, is a more accepted norm, uh, and is the aspiration for many, many people. Whereas in the UK, home ownership continues to be, uh, the principal aspiration for most. But it's extremely difficult to achieve because land at such a premium and property prices are so high. Um, so I can give you a very, very uh, sort of uh, straightforward backdrop of you know, land at a premium, housing at a premium. Um, and so for, for people with disabilities, I think particularly if they face particular challenges or barriers to getting into employment, I guess the, the immediate challenge is that what appears still to be the the aspirational norm for people in the UK, which is to go and try and earn property, becomes extremely difficult because not only do you need stable employment in the UK uh, in order to um, have a realistic chance of uh, finding accommodation, um, you need to be well paid, uh, increasingly so in the UK. So um, I think about my own kids, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to afford to purchase property in the future. It's very, very difficult. So it's becoming quite an exclusive market, the UK, um, which uh, increasingly favours uh, the very wealthy indeed. So if anybody who faces any kind of challenge or barrier to, to gaining sustainable, well-paid employment, um, access to the housing market is very, very difficult. The rental market, similarly, is extremely um, prosperous in the UK and prices continue to increase. So, whereas once upon a time, one might have said, well, if you're not able to access um, the, uh, the home ownership market, there is always rental 
in truth, particularly in major conurbations, and of course London is, is the absolute extreme here, um, to get your foot onto the rental ladder is incredibly difficult too. To get a deposit together to satisfy a landlord is very, very difficult, and rental premiums are really, really high. And again, this creates a real exclusive barrier for people. So unless they're going to be in quite, really quite well-paid, sustainable work, it's quite difficult to find private rented accommodation. And so there's this third market in the UK, and, I, and I'm not sure how the Canadian system works, so forgive me, I can't draw a, a strong contrast, which is um, the social and affordable rented market, and it's becoming increasingly diverse, but it comes from the origins of the welfare state uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the Second World War, which was essentially subsidized housing, which was made more affordable for people who were on lower incomes or for whatever reason were unable to work at the time. Um, but it's, and it's a system that worked very well for, for I would say, for, for some decades, actually, um, probably up until maybe the mid-80s, in truth, really, where um, there was a... Uh, there was quite a, a, a successful build program. Lots of units were developed. And so um, it was easier, I think, for a while for local authorities, for the government to offer housing solutions for people who needed them. But over the last couple of decades, um, the rate at which these homes have been developed has slowed significantly. So access to what we call social or affordable housing has become more and more difficult. Uh, I saw from one of your earlier podcasts, people, uh, respondents talking about the length of time they needed to wait for accommodation through those means. And the same would be said here. People can wait an awful long time for social or affordable housing uh, based on their circumstances, of course, and the areas they want to live in just because there aren't enough units to, to meet all of the need that's out there. So there is this, there is this third market, but it's very compressed. Uh, demand far outstrips supply. And it means that at any given time in the UK, you can go to almost any part of the country and you will find um, yeah, uh, real competition for and long waiting lists for social and affordable accommodation. So extremely expensive to buy, increasingly expensive to rent privately in the market, and real pressure upon that that kind of third sector of housing, the, the state subsidized, the affordable housing sector. And of course, for people who have disabilities, be they learning disabilities or, or physical disabilities, but uh, any kind of disability that makes it more difficult to work in um, sustainable, high-paid um, jobs, of course, the access to those markets is, is redoubled. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope I'm painting a picture here for you of a, of a housing market that's under, under real pressure in the UK. Yeah, for sure. And we've seen, so I live just outside of Toronto um, in Ontario, Canada, mm -hmm. and we've seen uh, a, a similar, very similar picture arise uh, here over the last probably two years where housing prices have increased 30%. Mm -hmm. uh, some, yeah, wow. So, um, we definitely have a lot more space <laughs> compared to the UK, <laughs> but um, yeah, just within the greater Toronto area, a similar, um, we've seen a similar effect within the last few years. So uh, it definitely resonates. I, I think the thing that, that, that makes it a real challenge um, in the, in the rental markets here in the UK is um, the, the, the differential between 
rents and what the state is prepared to pay by way of what we call housing benefit. I don't know what the equivalent's called in Canada, but it's which is the amount of rent subsidy the government is prepared to give to individuals to live in a home. Mm. So if I'm if I'm unable to work for a period and I find myself needing to rent accommodation, I can apply for what is known as housing benefit. It's being replaced gradually with a, a system called universal credit here, but for many people in the UK, it's still a housing benefit. I can apply for housing benefit, but it will be paid up to a cap. And of course, if I can't find accommodation that sits within the capped amount that's available from the government, then I've either got to try and subsidize that myself from earnings I don't have because I'm not currently at work, or I've got to go and try and find somewhere that does fall within that housing benefit cap. And that's becoming an increasing challenge for people. And what it means is that in particular, urban areas where private landlords can get a higher premium for the, pro- for the property they own, they're not going to want to accept a lower capped rate of housing benefit. So people are basically priced out of the rental market because the government will not subsidize the rents they would need to pay to live in those conurbations. Mm. So Does that are, make sense? Yeah, yeah, so people are pushed out of those uh, attractive housing markets into more than likely smaller uh, surrounding communities. It, that is happening. It, it is happening, and yeah, that's just stepping away from 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 disability just for a second. I mean, that's just that's just difficult. Full stop. You know, it's, it, it makes it difficult for people to to stay in the area that they know and love, that they're familiar with, that they would call their home, really. I say particularly in major conurbations. I don't want to overemphasize this. I mean, this is, this is not a, it's not yet a universal issue across the country, but there are, there are pockets where it's going to be nigh on impossible for people to access accommodation unless they really do have uh, significant wealth. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's the picture right now. And that creates a, a very definite, a very definite challenge if, for people that we support who face barriers to employment or who as as we support them uh, to increase their skills um, yes in the future that they may well find themselves um, working um, for higher for higher wages and the skills that they'll, they'll develop will increase and so they'll be able to uh, increase their salaries over time but initially at that start when they first first take on work it could be at a fairly minimum wage and that's not going to permit people to pay uh, private rents in many areas but of course the amount of benefit they can claim from the state to support their rent will diminish so it, it means there's kind of a uh, a cycle, I suppose, almost like a syndrome people can fall into where they're acquiring skills to take on work and to achieve a greater level of independence. But the financial remuneration of that isn't sufficient to um, to move on within the housing market. So people can find themselves um, yeah, almost trapped in a way, really, in a, in a particular stage of their life. Mm-hmm. And, and that creates a real challenge. I hope I'm explaining this properly. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So you're, you're helping... Yeah, sure. The way I understand it, you're helping people increase their skills, which um, makes them uh, more attractive in the employment market, which allows mm-hmm. them to, you know, hopefully get a higher salary. Once they get that higher salary, mm-hmm. it reduces their housing benefit. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. net amount that they have is, you know, hasn't really changed that much in terms of what they can afford in, in right. housing, right? So it's... Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And this is talking about the social sector generally. So I, I yeah. speak here about other organizations I've worked in too. So just, you know, it's, yeah, help, 
helping people to move on through stages of their life as they as they acquire yeah greater independence mm-hmm. uh, finding finding the housing to go with that is a real real challenge yeah uh, but for the people at dimensions support i mean i, I would say that that challenge is even greater. Yeah. Um, so could you so, could you talk to the approach that you take at Dimensions to um, supporting people with housing? So Dimensions aspires to create uh, independent accommodation for people. I mean, that's that's really what we want. Not all of the accommodation that we have at this time is what we would call exemplar. Um, we want all of our accommodation to be based on individual need and as I said before, with our activate model for for the built environment, the physical environment to kind of be an integral component of person centered support. Um, so that means everybody having their own their own tenancy and settled accommodation, um, ideally in in really quite small scale supported living. Um, not all of our accommodation is like that at this point in time. We're looking to remodel some of it. So some of our some of our accommodation would be larger scale, could be like you know, 10, 10 people living in, in one larger accommodation. But over time, we're seeking to remodel so that you know, we get to that small scale personalized approach that, 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 that we value and we know that people that we support value. Um, I think that I think the difficulty in in creating more accommodation harks back to some of the earlier part of the conversation we've been having, which is just about land premiums and the cost of building and um, uh, yeah our our capacity to deliver more homes, um, which is which is not 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 easy in the UK to do. Um, we, because we uh, we know that the majority of the people that we support, because of the complexity of their needs, are unlikely to go into high-paid employment. Um, if they do achieve employment, um, that means that we need to try and create properties that have an affordable rent, that they that the people who we support will be able to claim that housing benefit to pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that we need to find the right areas to build and be able to build at the right price so that we can um, we can afford to let those properties out at that lower affordable rent. And I think that's one of the one of the biggest challenges we have. So we do have some there's some housing subsidy in the system that the government has given. And we will try and bid for more of that as time goes by. We also have some of that housing subsidy um, currently tied up in properties that we own. And so we will look to remodel those properties and recycle. It's called grant. We call it grant in this country. We'll recycle those housing grants to provide new units going forward. But the challenge to us is always how, how we can uh, make that money go as far as possible so we can create the kind of quality of housing that we aspire to for the people that we support at the right price so that so that they can afford to live there and live as independently as possible. Um, so if you were to be part of this organization now, you'd see a strategy which is all about us um, looking hard at our asset base and working out how we're going to make the very most of the resources at our disposal so that every home that we provide for people we support is of that exemplar quality that gives that gives that own, you know, gives them their own front door, gives them that kind of independence that they need to live, as we said, that that extraordinary ordinary life. Does that start to paint a picture for you, Eric? Yeah, for sure. So um, as well, do you help uh, individuals? 
go and find their own homes as well? Or absolutely, absolutely right. So there are essentially sort of three strands, I guess, to to our, to our strategy for for housing. The first I've just described to you, which is a bit about how we just need to optimize the resource we've got um, to deliver new accommodation for people that's of the right kind. So it's about it's learning the lessons of years gone by, I think, and using the research that we undertake to make sure we build the right stuff at the right price for people. And I've talked for some time about some of the challenges we face in doing that. I think the second is making sure that we get a grip of the asset base that we have and that we we use our intelligence and our research to, to remodel that where possible. So that could mean that we take existing accommodation and knock it down and rebuild it in a in a better way that's more modern and that uses our learning and our understanding and is more beneficial to the people we support. Or it could just mean making tweaks and changes to it, or just refurbishing it essentially really. But but again, use, using what we know from from years of learning now to improve the accommodation that we have. And then thirdly, uh, there's a piece around signposting people that we support or will be supporting into the right accommodation for them. And this can come from a number of sources. It can come through uh, local authorities and what we call registered providers over here, which are, uh, they could be charities, they could be housing associations, but they are, they are generally public sector organizations whose primary mission is to provide affordable housing for people. And, you know, we, we do have links with, with many organizations like that, and we will, we will signpost people into the, into their accommodation um, or into the private rented sector through what we call brokerage, which is essentially uh, working closely with people to signpost them into accommodation that suits them. And actually, uh, Eric, that is a, that's a profession of it in its own right over here now, really. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real skill. I mean, we, we have some great housing brokers that work for us here at Dimensions and, um, they are very skilled at accessing and understanding local housing markets and supporting people with, with really quite complex needs um, in, into the right accommodation alongside a support package that will suit them. So, yeah, there's essentially three strands to it. It's okay. Building the right stuff, turning what we've got into the right stuff, and then where we can, signposting people into the right kind of accommodation. Okay. And does the support side of it always come, or is it always linked with the housing side of it or creating a home or are sometimes those things separate? No, it, it's generally separate. So I think, I think, I think most support organizations and certainly dimensions um, hold a core value that whilst the place in which you live is an important component of uh, quality of life, you know, whether, whether we're talking about the World Health Organization determinants of health or the strands of our Activate model I was describing to you earlier, um, you know, the physical built environment you live in is critical to your health and well-being, isn't it? So, um, so what we, we always say that that's critical and we're able to, we are able to deliver a good and comfortable living environment. People should be able to choose who supports them and and where they live shouldn't define who delivers that support. Right. That said, Eric, and that's a, that's a, I can't overstress that that's a core value. So, because ultimately, 
you know, if, 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 if you're being supported by somebody and they mess up, you want to be able to get somebody else in to do that for you, to support right. you. And yeah. you shouldn't have to move in order to create that situation. You know, that's, that's restricting people. That's an encumbrance. That's not the kind of choice and control that we stand for. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that we haven't got a lot of situations where we are the landlord for somebody or we own the property in which they live and also they're supported by us. But there's always a delineation, a distinction between their tenancy agreement and the, the contract that underpins their, the, the support they receive. Okay. Um, and that's, that's fundamental. Yeah, you know, we operate around choice and control. So you know, we'd always like to think that if we, if we get someone's built environment right, if we get their home right, and we get their support right, they would continue to choose us. But what we don't want is for anyone to ever be beholden to us or anybody else as a support provider because of who their landlord is. Right, right. I, and I, I agree with your methodology on that. Um, so if, if I'm an individual um, mm-hmm. living in the UK, uh, I guess how would – and I, let's assume that you know I have a, a learning disability, developmental disability, autism, um, on the autism mm-hmm. um, spectrum. Um, how would – I guess how would I – how could I best work with dimensions? to to find uh you know a home let's assume maybe i'm still living with my parents or or something like that sure okay so i think we're still in a stage here where um because because of the complex because of the kind of organization we are very few people self-refer to us Okay. That's not to say they can't. We, you know, we would we always happily, willingly work with uh, with individuals and their families to create packages of support, try and access accommodation. I mean, that's. But it's it's less usual for us. I think because of because of the kind of organisation we are, because of our heritage, but also just because of the way the system works in the UK, the majority of people that we will support and find accommodation for will come to us through a referral from another professional. Um, and so that's likely to be the genesis of the beginnings of a relationship between us, dimensions, and somebody that we will support. Um, and that referral could come from the NHS, the National Health Service, it could come from social services, but it would generally follow a period of assessment where um, professionals believe that somebody's needs are understood and that um, you know, moving into the community to, to say to lead that more independent life is is right for them at that point and that we are following evaluation we are the right organization to do that um so so self-referral eric is is it happens but it's not it's not the most common way that people mm-hmm. come into our services and, and start a relationship with dimensions so with that individual and, and family that is referred into dimensions um how mm-hmm. would you how would you work with them to find the right um housing uh for that for that person through a lot of contact and, and conversation, really. So, I mean, this this sort of referral to residence process, that's, that's, that's what I call it. That's my, my pet term for it, referral to residence. Starts off with conversations, really, between uh, social workers and clinical professionals who understand the person uh, who, who is to be supported. 
with that person themselves, friends and family, just to really understand what it is that that person wants to achieve, the kind of accommodation they need, the facilities that might need to be nearby, um, any adaptations or particular characteristics that the property might need or definitely shouldn't have. Um, and, and, you know, and, and so for, for, for us and the people that we work with, um, those adaptations will often be around um, sensory experience or uh, just items of, 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 of safety that help you know, that support someone to just live safely in their, in their new home, basically. Um, or it could be being near to family and friends or to particular facilities. If someone's a keen swimmer, for example, or has particular social or artistic activities that they like to get involved in. So it's really just, a, it's initially just about uh, detection and inquiry and finding out as much about that person so we can tailor the response to them to the very best of our ability. Um, we will then get into um, a period of working out um, what's important to that person to achieve, so therefore what their support package will look like, um, the kind of outcomes they would want to achieve across those eight domains that I described to you earlier. And whilst that's happening, it's then that we would go to look to try and find accommodation for them to live in. Um, normally using localized advisors who who do what we call the brokerage piece really so it's it, it's a very it's a very it's a very personalized conversation based um, relationship which yeah involves a sort of a trinity of us as a support provider uh, professionals um, who who know the person well, and then that person that will be supporting and their family and friends to make sure that they are that 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 their new that their new life, given that so many people we support currently live in hospital or in what we would call an assessment and treatment unit, had the very best chance of success in their new accommodation. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the individual and their family are very involved in that process. It's absolutely critical, absolutely critical. Um, it's just like it's just like like any scenario in life, really. I mean, the the more choice and control that the person at the centre of the piece has, the more chance there is of of success. I think, you know, one one of the reasons why we we take time and care to make sure that someone's individual wishes are reflected is because the, the best chance of of, of that successful transition is 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 if we get it right the first time um I, i'm sad to say i've 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 been around in in the social care sector for long enough to see where support has failed and it it will be twice as hard the second time around because because uh people's confidence particularly for family and and friends or con- other concerned individuals plummets and um the fear and the confidence for the person who's being supported, the individual at the centre of it all, um, gets damaged too. So, you know, the, the importance of taking time to understand and communicate well and try and bespoke uh, the environment is critical if the support's going to be successful going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a super important message that you just shared, Chris, with our listeners is to to really take the time and to put the thought into getting it right the first time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, 
if, if you were speaking to my colleagues, they'd tell you that it, it can often take in excess of a year, you know, to, to try and mobilize um, uh, support for somebody, um, which might sound like a long time, but if it, if it gets it right, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And very often for people that we're going to be supporting, actually that year-long period is comparatively short when we consider how much time they may have spent in a in a residential hospital. So, so yeah, I, I can agree with you all day, Eric. You know, it's it's critical to just take time, understand, and get right, and just and have the objective of personalizing as a fundamental underlying principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Chris, you gave a great lay of the land of really what housing looks like in the UK today. And I love how you've uh, really started to, sh- or you have shift your, um, and created your strategy for housing around uh, enabling people to have their own front door and, and working towards that. And I love the approaches that you take. And I really appreciate the perspective that you've shared with uh, the listeners today. Um, and I just have, have one last question uh, for you, Chris. So if you, sure. ha- if you had a, a billboard and everybody in the world could see this billboard, what would you put on it? What message would you share? Wow, that is a good question. Yeah, I, I think I think my my billboard message would be give people choice and control. Full stop. Really? Yeah, I, I've, I've you know I, I I haven't been at Dimensions for long, but. You know, one of the things I say to people about this organization is there's just great value alignment here. And wherever you go, that's what people are committed to. And I just think as long as long as as long as you have that as as your fundamental aim to give people choice and control, as long as that's what you're trying to achieve, you're going to get it right down the line. You know, you might make some mistakes along the way, but if that's your fundamental core principle, then you will get it right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today, Chris, and and thank you very much for sharing your insights. Thank you, Eric. Take care of yourself. Thank you. A big thank you goes out to Chris Woodhead for joining us on the podcast today. And I love the aspirations that Dimensions UK has to provide everyone with their own front door. When talking to folks about Uh, with disabilities that are interested in uh, living an incredible ordinary life uh, where they're able to contribute in society, a lot of them really want that. They want their own front door. And I think it's great that Dimensions UK is moving in that direction and all of their housing might not be um, at that point yet, as Chris explained to us, but they're moving in that direction. So I think that's fantastic. And I really love the approach that Chris shared around housing and support being separate and not binding those two things together and making the housing uh, uh, interconnected with support and, 
you know, if an individual wants to move into a different house, then, you know, they have to lose their support. Or if they don't like their support, then they need to move into a different house. And, and having those two things separate and giving individuals choice and control over their housing, over their support. And I think those two things are so, so important to empower people uh, with disabilities. And in the case of Dimensions UK, empowering people that have learning disabilities and uh, that are on the autism spectrum. So I love the approach. And if you're interested, I hope you check out the Activate model that Chris mentioned early in the podcast. And you can check that out on the Dimensions UK website. So I have included that in the show notes and also in the blog so you can quickly access that there uh, also you can check out if you want to connect with some of the leaders at dimensions uk you can check out their contact page which i've also linked to and if housing is something that you're working on uh, feel free to go to the website and get the free download on creating your home so there's this great workbook that's going to help guide you through creating your vision and starting to implement your vision for what your home is looks like. So go on over to the website. It's empoweringability.org. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of that. I'd like to thank all of our listeners that have left us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help me understand what I'm doing well, what I can improve on on the podcast, what you want to hear. So it's great feedback that you're providing. So please continue to do so. Also, by leaving a five-star review, it helps other people find the podcast. So thanks so much for those reviews and keep them coming. Next week, we welcome back friend of the podcast, Janet Cleese, to talk about building relationships. And Janet calls this BCR, or Building Context for Relationships. So creating the environment to allow people to develop relationships. Relationships can't be forced, but we can help to create the environment that fosters building relationships. So super interesting topic. And Janet is very knowledgeable in this space. Janet's the uh, currently the executive director at the Durham Region Family um, Respite and Support Services Organization. And she also uh, was the coordinate, longtime coordinator for the Diohago Family uh, Support Network. So she's helped many, many people to with disabilities to live incredible ordinary lives. And she does a great job of deconstructing uh, the best ways or what has worked uh, to help people to build relationships. And she shares that uh, really with that model around uh, building context for relationships. So awesome conversation that you're really going to enjoy next week. Uh, I hope you, you tune in and you listen. And as always, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. And we hope you come back and join us next week. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.